You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Welcome back for another fun week uh, with Strange by Nature, everyone. Uh, Or unless it's your first time listening, in which case... Welcome. Welcome for the first time. Welcome yeah. for the first time. I'm excited because uh, we have a special guest with us this week. Um, this week we have my desk mate. Actually, I throw Nerf gun darts at him all the time and he throws <laughs> yeah, them back. Yeah, you do. <laughs> uh, also, we share tea all the time. It's super fun. Uh, Noah, right. you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you, Rachel. My name is Noah. I am Rachel's desk mate and the recipient of lots of Nerf warfare, but we get along swimmingly and I I work as the adventure (laughs) programs coordinator at our our workplace. So I do like ski trails and ropes courses and rock walls and all things slightly risky, but I'm also a naturalist (laughs) by training. I'm happy to be here and share some cool stuff with you. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Yeah. I roped him in. It was super fun. (laughs) Um, well, he works with rope all the time, so that, that works exactly. Out. exactly. You didn't have to do too much wrangling <laughs> there. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. There is a lot of rope around. So it's great. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to get us started this week. Uh, again, welcome, Noah. Um, uh, so I'm going to get us started this week. And this week, um, I decided to delve pretty deep into my list. Uh, one that has been one of the first things on my list that I put on there. But for, for reasons unknown to me, well, okay, they're known to me. I just get distracted by new and fun, exciting, <laughs> strange things. There's always a shi- nice, shiny like, object. Ooh, right? this is super <laughs> exciting. I just learned about this. I need to know about it now. I need to share it with everyone immediately. I wanted to go in and actually talk about this. So there is this little bird that has the largest egg to body size and we haven't talked about it yet oh yeah we haven't how have we not talked about it yet so i want to talk about the kiwi bird this week we're 119 yeah, episodes kiwi. in and we haven't talked about kiwis um so those of you who don't know kiwis are a bird that is native to well it's actually five species of bird in uh new zealand related bird yeah related birds and they are small-ish, flightless birds. Now, when I picture a kiwi, I think of them as being small, right? Like, I don't picture them as, right. like, maybe, like, a woodpecker, like a downy woodpecker size or something like that. They're like oh. a medium chicken. Really? Yeah, yeah, they're size. bigger than that. Yeah, the biggest <laughs> one that they have, the biggest, like, tall-wise, like, if they stood up straight is 18 inches so that's like your forearm more or less it's a big bird yeah that's a good size it's a decent sized bird i wasn't expecting that i was expecting them much smaller even though i've seen their eggs before um yeah so i just want to talk about kiwis today so they're really funky little birds they are shaped i feel like they're shaped they're such a weird shape they have like they kind of remind me of a, a gourd 
you know? Not like sure, a pumpkin, yeah. but like a like long it. neck, like gourd. They have a like really rotund body and a little longer neck and then a really long beak. Um, and they just have these two little feet, but they don't have wings or anything. Uh, kiwis are also Wait, nocturnal. they have no wings. So, Is that what you're selling? Before I get into that. So they're kind of shaped like that gourd. They have this brown fuzzy fur (laughs) not fur feathers uh which is really cool and actually the reason why uh key like i always think of like kiwi fruit they are actually (laughs) right yeah kiwi fruit is actually named after kiwi birds from my research is it really uh i didn't know that yeah people saw kiwi birds and they saw kiwi fruit they it got brought over kiwi fruit got brought from china to like new zealand and australia and sure. became super super popular in the early 20th century and they saw like the resemblance and the outside of kiwi fruits reminded people of kiwi birds so huh. okay so Rachel, i have, I have no I idea a, those connection i have a question for both of you then do the yes. well maybe rachel knows do the kiwi birds ever eat the kiwi fruits? And if that happens, is it cannibalism? That is a great question. Wow. Hmm. I feel like it wouldn't be cannibalism just because it's kiwi fruits, <laughs> not kiwi birds. Fair, fair point. And people from New Zealand are sometimes called kiwis. So right. if a kiwi eats a kiwi who ate a kiwi, does the universe just implode? <laughs> I think it might. Probably. Actually. <laughs> That's yeah. the end of the world. Okay. Yeah. Oh just my. checking. Just I checking. think it is Careful. the end of the world. So. We, have, we have some listeners from that part of the world, so be oh careful. Oh, dear. Yeah, please. <laughs> or experiment and let us know what happens. Yeah, <laughs> we want to know. Like, this sounds fascinating. Well, if the world ends, what a, it's too late. So. Well, yeah. So to, to move forward... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> please, keep us going. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, if you think about like a small, about the size of a chicken, that's what a kiwi is. Uh, but they have one of, they don't have any wing. Well, they have wings, but they're only about an inch long. So they're pretty much useless mm, and very much hidden. Yeah. They're flightless. They are ground birds. They don't have tails either. But they do run and they fight uh, pretty significantly. They're really territorial, actually, when it comes to... Uh, space and they need quite a bit of space in their forested uh, wetlands, forested areas, not wetlands, uh, to nest as well as take care of uh, the spaces. They are really fascinating uh, when it comes to like how they protect their areas and everything. And they're actually monogamous, okay. which is not necessarily unheard of, but kind of fun. One thing that I found fascinating while I was... It is kind of fun. Right. One thing that I found fascinating when it came to kiwis when I was was doing my research is kiwis, for the most part, they use, like, sight and smell when it comes to, like, hunting, which is interesting... But because of that and the fact that they are kind of crepuscular, more more, uh, nocturnal than anything else, they actually are, their eyes are awful. Like they're the smallest size eyes versus their body size or whatever. Interesting. Uh, 
And okay. to the point, they're a bird of extremes. <laughs> they're a bird of extremes to the point where it's actually to the point where um, kiwis they did some studies and it, like a third of the species that they found out in the wild actually had some sort of ocular um, lesion on their eyes, and some of them were you mean actually a third of the well, no, third of the species or third of the individuals. Third of the individuals what's really interesting too when it comes to kiwis uh with all of that since they are they're so small and they're more nocturnal so because the site is so underdeveloped like one third of uh the population of a species of kiwi was shown to have those ocular lesions they actually found wild birds that were blind and completely healthy so they don't so, use wow. their sight pretty much at all. They already have really bad small eyes, but where where is the third of the population? Like, where are they getting their lesions from? Is that like a birth defect or something in their environment? That's a great question. No idea. <laughs> they're just blind. Uh, they're gourd like. They're, they're <laughs> some wow. of them are born blind. blind. Yeah. Uh, born yeah, bored blind. <laughs> some of them are born blind. Uh, some of them, I'm sure, just like humans, uh, we get lesions due to our environment or our eyesight just goes over time. Because believe it or not, like these birds wow. are actually pretty long lived. For the most part, uh, they are able to live. A lot of other kiwi are able to live to be 40 to 65 years old. Wow. Um, Whoa. Yeah, they're not. That is really old that for is a bird. Very <laughs> old for a bird. So. If they That's are amazing. able to survive, uh, like through to adulthood and like protect themselves from predators and everything, uh, and I mean they're super affected by climate change as well as deforestation. They're vulnerable and things like that, but they're sure, really sure. long-lived birds. <laughs> uh, the wow, only cool. difference is the Northland brown kiwi, uh, one of the four kiwis. I said five earlier. There's only four species. Uh, lives to be 14 years old, which is wildly like different. That's the average age that they yeah. live to be, which is wildly different. Okay. Any idea why that one species lives so much shorter than the rest of them? It's like 14 to 60 years is the range I'm hearing, right? So like, why does that mm-hmm. one die so much more quickly? So kiwis, generally speaking, before they... Uh, before humans and everything came in, they didn't have a ton of predators on New Zealand. So a lot of their predators nowadays involve like dogs and ferrets and weasels and cats. So I think that has affected a lot of the Kiwis and as well as like the average years Mm -hmm. and how long they can live. Right. So I think that's definitely part of it. Uh, The last thing that I wanted to talk about obviously is their egg. Uh, yeah, I was like, when, yeah, when do we get into the egg? Exactly. Right? Super, like, that's the whole, obviously, we have to talk about the egg. So, the kiwi has the largest egg when it comes to, like, size. Uh, proportional, like, it weighs up to a quarter of the weight of the female. So, um, they only lay one egg per wow. season, which is very, very fair. Um, at least yeah. one in proportion. True. So, like, okay, so it's the size of a chicken, right? So the egg mm-hmm. 
is six size six times the size of a chicken's egg. So it's like a chicken trying Close. to lay the size of like a softball. Six eggs at once. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's wild. That is ridiculous. It's insane. And that's the largest, uh, you know, body to or sm- yeah. smallest ratio of body to egg size. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the largest egg in proportion to the size of the bird. So it's not like the biggest egg wow. that there is, but it's the right, biggest right. It's egg to the size of this bird. Uh, and we don't that's, really that's so quite cool. know why it's so big. I've seen pictures of like an egg inside of a kiwi and it's right like an x-ray or something yeah which is wild to see we'll see if they can get that on our social media and then just one last thing that i wanted to share about that like the eggs so they burrow in the ground they nest in the ground and the male actually incubates the egg and that happens anywhere from 60 to 92 days before the egg actually hatches so it's pretty long period of time that's a long time yeah yeah what a cool bird. Yeah, it's a really fun little bird. Yeah. That's what I have yeah, for you. A quarter I just of the wanna, size uh, of the body. Oh. Yeah. Like, like yeah. the weight of It's like me female. giving birth to a laundry basket. Like that's just that's insane. Absolutely. <laughs> what a what a visual wow. that is, yeah. Noah. <laughs> maybe maybe that's... we didn't need that, but yeah, it's, it's ridiculous <laughs> is the point. But it, there it is. It's yeah, already there. It's no happening. taking it back. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thanks, Rachel. Yeah, no problem. We're going to take a break, and when we return, it'll be Noah. Strange by Nature podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who have joined the Society of Strange, our membership group on over at patreon.com slash strangebynature. Society of Strange members can join at one of three different membership levels and help support the show and also get some fun stuff like water bottle stickers or access to a super secret content. So a thank you to those who have joined already to help make this podcast possible. If you haven't joined yet, we'll see you soon over at the Society of Strange at patreon.com slash strange by nature. See you soon. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Again, my name is Noah. Thanks to the Strange by Nature hosts for having me on today. And I've got something kind of interesting to discuss with you today, and that is Chaga. Have you ever heard of Chaga, either of you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But I'm sure a lot of our listeners have no idea what that word means. I've heard of Chaga Tea. Yes, Chaga Tea is is a wonderful brew. I'll I'll explain how one might acquire or make Chaga Tea a little later here, too. But Chaga is essentially, uh, I've heard it described as the king of medicinal fungi, which is kind of hmm. funny because it's not actually a fungus. It's more of a <laughs> it's more of a combination of, of like mycelium, which is fungus e, and like wood. So it's yeah. it's technically called a canker. If you've ever been out in the forest Whoa. and see like a weird like splotchy growth on something, not to be confused yeah. with a burl, which is a different tree thing as well. It gets kind of okay. complicated and confusing. All right, but yes, cool. Because that's canker. where my brain went was like a you said canker, and my brain went oh like a burl. And thank you for the clarification. They are very similar, and but yeah, it's kind of there's a slight differentiation there. So chaga can only be found on, well, not only, but pretty much exclusively white birch trees or paper birch trees, which I'm assuming some people mm-hmm. are familiar with. They have a very signature, like flaky bark. I've mm-hmm. lived up in northern Minnesota almost two years now. <clears throat> Rachel and I live in the same area, 
And mm-hmm. I've, I have once discovered chaga growing on an aspen, which can look a lot like a paper birch, especially if you're not like yeah, yeah. looking for that flaky bark. But I think mm-hmm. 98% of the time or something, you'll find it on living white birches. That's another important part. You won't find it on dead trees. Cool. But it basically looks like, like if you think about, about other popular mushrooms, people eat shiitakes, portobellas, like, or like morels or chicken of the woods. They all look and mm-hmm. feel like soft and tasty, basically. Whereas this looks like right. something to be avoided. It's like a big black burned charcoal <laughs> clump that grows on these trees. <laughs> But Which really you, makes me again, question it's hard who first too, right? ate like, it. <laughs> they looked at it, it and like, hmm, I have that question about tasty. many things. Yes. <laughs> right. Like let's and not you can't just pull it off the tree like a like a normal like a shiitake. Like you need a hatchet or a hammer to like it's basically wood so that you're banging off of a tree. And right. whoever oh, took wild. a bite of that, you know, like an apple, again, I'm not sure what they were thinking, but <laughs> once you get this big clump off of a birch tree, you've got this big black burned like exterior. The inside is actually like a amber orange color, and that's that's like the meat of the chaga, like what you really want. Whoa! But the exterior, okay. that black hardened part, has a lot of melanin, which is super good for your skin. You, know, you can think of the root of the word. Mm-hmm. So, how might I prepare chaga tea if I were to find it in the forest? A lot of people will take like they'll just break it up into chunks, like grape sized chunks, and then you simmer that, you know, just below boiling for maybe two to four hours, depending on the strength of your brew. Two Other to four hours? Other people like a coffee grinder and oh make like a fine goodness. powder and do the same thing. Yeah. So a bit of a process, yeah. It is It Ooh. is a bit of a process, but it's it's well worth it, and it's actually pretty palatable compared to like like a reishi mushroom. is kind of a bitter taste to it. Chaga is pretty good if you add some maple syrup and milk, in my opinion. But I've also gone through a little bit of a chaga craze. So as as Rachel maybe knows... <laughs> I I can be a little bit of a phasey person. Like I'll latch onto a hobby and it like consumes me for a month and then I'll abandon it forever. <laughs> that sounds familiar, right? That was my experience with Chaga when I first discovered what it was. And in <laughs> yep. fact, the first time I went out looking Kirk for it, similar. I filled a backpack with some useless shelf fungi. Like I, I did not find the right thing and I thought I'd scored big. <laughs> and then I, I looked it up online and it was the wrong thing. But when I actually did learn what it looks like and I harvested it and made the tea the first time, I was like, Always out. Every time I was out in the woods, I was like, I joked about having the sixth sense, like I could feel when the chaga was near, you know, because most of the white birches you come across <laughs> are not going to have the fungus. But I got really right, excited right. about it. So I've made tea, I made tea all the time for the fellow naturalists. It's really cool. Now, there's a reason that we're drinking this black charcoal fungus tea. Like there's there's something good about it, right? <laughs> and that that is, uh, there are four main yeah. health benefits that that it can help you with. So. It reduces all of these four things. Inflammation, so like just like ibuprofen is an anti-inflammatory for a sore ankle. Blood pressure, risk for cancer. There are studies showing that it's slowed the growth of uh, cancer cells. And then blood sugar. So those four things in and of themselves are, are nice to have in check in, in a human body, right? And chaga can contribute positively to all that stuff. Though I, I got to imagine loading it with maple syrup <laughs> probably doesn't help the blood sugar a whole lot right Fair maybe point, not yes. a ton yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but it helps you and adding milk that has sugar in it yeah but yeah but yeah I, I, it I get sounds you, I get delicious yeah, and it, i promise you it can be I've, I've brought it to other people that were hesitant but once they had noah's patented chaga brew they were conformed <laughs> <laughs> So here's something that I think is kind of funny, like in the world of like holistic medicines and interesting fungi, like reishi or lion's mane, 
there actually haven't been any human trials proving the health benefits of chaga, but they have it has worked on rats and mice. So there's some super healthy mice with no inflammation and good blood pressure that had some chaga tea. <laughs> but for whatever reason, they haven't done any mice. human trials. Yeah, it's kind of funky. Hmm. So all of this Sweet. like health jargon is speculative to some extent, but there is a lot of science behind chaga being useful for you. Now, Sweet. like anything that might seem too good to be true, there are people that found something that could be potentially unsafe about chaga. Dun, dun, dun. And that is because it has the chemical called oxalate. Have you ever heard of oxalate before? Sounds vaguely sounds familiar. Sounds vaguely familiar, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, it sounded as familiar as any other chemistry word does to me. But basically, it's, <laughs> yep. it interferes with the absorption of other nutrients in your body. So, And it can also bind with okay. calcium and form kidney stones, which are obviously not a good time. That's not great. Right. Nope, that's no, bad. Very, very, very I bad time, in fact. don't right. like kidney stones. Most people don't. Famously more painful than giving birth to <laughs> pass a kidney stone. Right. Yeah. So like, it, however, ox, oxalate is found in real small trace amounts in chaga. So it's likely that the other health benefits outweigh any risk of like accumulating more kidney stones in your body. Still kind of food for thought. You know, mm-hmm. Somebody's going to find it's, something wrong like with the king you, of medicinal fungi. I mean, I mean, if you had to like. If it's just in like trace amounts, I'm sure you just have to like have it like gallons of chaga tea for it to really affect you potentially. But yeah, I, th- I think yeah, well, you know what sounds like Noah has had gallons. <laughs> so how you feeling there? Noah? I'm here to tell the tale. Yeah, it's it's been good. <laughs> okay, for okay. <laughs> I th- yeah, I wonder if you drank like like multiple mason jars of strong chaga tea if you'd get like a stomach ache or some indigestion. I mean. Anything in excess, even water to excess can be bad right, news, right. right? So, Oh, yeah. Hard that to can be fatal, yeah. Yeah. Right. That's not so, a fun way to go. <clears throat> I want to switch gears here. I, I asked Rachel if I could talk about two topics kind of briefly. So from Chaga, I'm going to go to squirrels because squirrels are super cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know. We're, yeah. we're doing a full 180 Left here. Left turn into squirrels. Go right. for it. So the, the, part of the reason I wanted to talk about squirrels is because I – kind of identify with the squirrely nature of those little rodents. And in fact, I think if whenever I've asked somebody to assign me a spirit animal, squirrel is the most consistent result. I was often <laughs> nicknamed squirrel as a child. I I do, I relate to their finicky, impulsive, all over the place nature, I suppose. But they're, they're very interesting creatures. Some of them can be super duper tiny. A baby squirrel in North America is usually like an inch long, which is kind of cool to think about. A little pink, you know, mouse-like thing in your hand. But uh, one of the the largest squirrel in the world is called the Indian giant squirrel. And I once watched a documentary called uh, Going Nuts Tales from Squirrel World. If anybody's seen that, <laughs> it is, it's, it's available. I watched that now. one. No. I mean, it should be Amazing. high on your list. How, yeah. Yeah. How big is the uh, the biggest squirrel? Uh, it can be about three and a half to four pounds and up to three feet long. So we're talking about like a, a badger like creature. <laughs> yeah, it's really so bad. like a half a Rachel. About a half a Rachel. That's yeah. Oh the biggest gosh. ones would be about a half a Rachel. Wow. Keep in mind that over <laughs> half of that amazing. length is, is often in their tail. Like they still mm-hmm. have a pretty big body that can be a foot and a half long. But the tail is like much like a monkey uses it for balance or a cat, you know, it's, it's it has mm-hmm. big tails. Yeah. They have hold, the canopy. hold on. I gotta, I gotta step in here. Yes. Rachel. Yeah. Half a Rachel. Yeah. 
It's more than half a Rachel. Come on. <laughs> I, I know. I know. I was seeing if I could get away with it. <laughs> no, no, we're not. We're not. Let, the, the Rachel is a very important scientific unit of measurement. You can't go getting a loosey goosey with the Rachel you know, being bigger than it is. I'm sorry. What, is it like? I know it's it, like you know, two. It's like three fifths or like two thirds, okay. right? Sure. Somewhere I'm, I'm, in as there. long as we're as long as we're being honest with ourselves. <laughs> and by ourselves I mean you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if all of a sudden Rachel is six feet, then think about all your previous episodes where your measurements are off. Like, you know, we have to keep Rachel. Yeah, everything will be wrong. Where everything will be wrong. The importance, you know, it's oh, right. Dream. So it's very important we are grow we another hold, we hold the line on the Rachel. We need grow scientific another integrity. Ten, like, ten inches. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I think so, I'm done growing. I'll just share a couple really peculiar facts with you about some squirrel stuff. So please do. I didn't realize this until recently after doing a little research, but squirrels were not like a part of urban environments the way they are today. Like you think of any city park, there's going to be a squirrel in the tree. That was actually a concerted effort on the part of lots of us city planners and officials around like the middle of the 19th century. So think like civil war oh, era. Really? In addition to domestic warfare, they were also putting squirrels in parks and cities across the country to the point where now they're kind of a problem <laughs> almost. You know, there are too many right? in certain areas. But uh, yeah. Uh, I, I, that is bizarre. That's yeah. wild. That's like the Canada goose. We yeah. don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> another episode, perhaps. A whole other episode there, yeah. Another interesting thing, considering squirrels' power in cities, they've literally shut down the economy for a little bit at a time because they chewed through <laughs> electrical lines that shut down the Nasdaq stock market twice in 1987 and 1994. So they <laughs> well done, well done, squirrels. Squirrels are anti-capitalists, apparently. <laughs> they got a little Occupy Wall Street jacket on. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah. Let's cause some havoc. A youth extra extra small sweater that says Occupy Wall Street. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely the last thing i want to share about squirrels i think is really crazy there's a particular species of squirrel and i've forgotten the name but it lives in an environment that has rattlesnakes and they'll sometimes do this like camouflage perfume i guess i'll I'll call it where they chew on like the old snake skin or like a deceased rattlesnake and then once they have that flavor in their mouths they lick their bodies to like mask their own scent oh, and then rattlesnakes oh. who, who <laughs> primarily use their scent to find prey will smell mm-hmm. like half squirrel, half dead rattlesnake, and leave that particular squirrel alone. So kind of like when my dog rolls in wow. something, squirrels do the same thing, but they take it to the next level. They literally chew on the corpse of the thing that, that predates Whoa. on them. Yeah. Gross. That is pretty nuts. That's pretty nuts. Thank you. Exactly. Thank you, Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I've got. I'll, I'll kick it over to you, Kirk. Wow. Oh my Thank gosh. you. Yeah, we'll take Thanks. a short break and I will uh, be back with another story. I'm going to be thinking about squirrels forever. Welcome back. Uh, we have talked on the show about chimera before. So I want to recap. Uh, in Greek mythology, the chimera is a combination of different animals thrown together. It is depicted as a monster with the head of a lion on a goat's body with a serpent's tail. And depending on who was drawing it or telling the story, the tail could either literally be a snake's tail or it could be a tail made of the front end of a snake so the tail could bite you. That's right. probably more more common in, in the stories. More horrifying. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes the animal has the head and the body of a lion, 
but just a random goat head sprouting out of its back. I've so, seen that. <laughs> pretty awful, wild. awful. I, I hope not in person. <laughs> but yeah, pretty wild. No, spot. not in not in person. Now, right over time, the word chimera uh, became it sort of evolved to mean just like a, a few animals stuck together. So not just those particular three. So like centaurs, half man, half horse. Those are chimera. Uh, half man, half bulls are minotaurs. We also have griffins and pegasus or pegasuses. Or, I, I don't think there's actually a plural. Uh, there's only one pegasus, so no plural there. But right. uh, folk tales are ripe with examples of these chimera. And my favorite of all time, though, is in a Simpsons episode, of course, of course, where Lisa goes to the Renaissance Fair and Chief Wiggum is running a ridiculous uh, mythical animal sideshow featuring the Esquilax, a horse with the head of a rabbit and the body of a rabbit. Oh my goodness. It's a rabbit. <laughs> it's, just a ra- it's just a rabbit. It's just a rabbit. It's a great joke. Great episode. Uh, anywho, not what I'm talking about, actually. Uh, as I said, we've talked about on the show about Chimera uh, a number of times because there really are Chimera in the real world. Uh, right. There are cases where you can find like one organism, but it has distinct different DNA genomes that create it. Uh, one of the first we talked about on the show was one that I talked about when I mentioned the mitochondria in humans. So mm-hmm. actually, all humans are technically Chimera. Uh, we have what is called our autosomal DNA, which is the DNA that we get from our parent inherit from both our parents. It's what we usually think about when we're talking about DNA. But the DNA that makes up our mitochondria and our cells is completely separate. And we only inherit that from our mothers. So we are chimera. We have two completely separate sets of DNA that make us up. And uh, they reflect the idea that long, long ago, there were actually two separate creatures that merged into one. Now, this was like 1.45 billion years ago. This was not a recent thing. Uh, mitochondria right. are found in both plants and animals. So we're talking about something that is basic to most life on Earth. So most things on Earth are chimera. Uh, we're not all that special, but it does get weirder. Uh, we've always talked about lichens on the show. Rachel, I think you were the one talking about lichens. Who, I talked about a specific lichen that went into space way, 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 way back. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And lichens are chimera. Uh, they're actually they a fungus are. with an algae and a bacteria living inside them. Uh, they function as one organism, but given those parts, uh, it takes like four separate genomes just to create this one creature, three or three or four, depending on what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they also are considered to be a type of chimera. Victoria did a whole episode in other ways besides just our mitochondrial DNA that we can that we create human chimera. Uh, she talked about here we go. Tetragametic chimerism as well as blood chimerism between mother and fetus and mm-hmm. between twins. So clearly chimera have been a rich vein of topics for the show. And it turns out they we're continue. not done digging yet. <laughs> uh, what caught my attention this week was that scientists have discovered a new record setting chimera. We now have a new candidate for the most jumbled up chimera yet discovered mm. here on Ooh. earth. And now I don't, I don't want to get your hopes up. This is not a horse with wings or a lion with a snake tail and a goat head growing out of its back. Aww. It is decidedly, not all that interesting to look at. It is a single cell alga. So boring. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, I do love the name. Though it's, yeah, you really can't. Uh, it, which maybe makes it even cooler that it's, it's made up of so many things. So the, I love the name. It's called Cryptomonas. And uh, you know, like my last name. name is Mona. So basically <laughs> it's called Hidden Me. Is essentially what this plant is called, which is pretty cool. Um, so what did they find out? 
a team of international researchers published a paper in the journal Current Biology showing how, oh boy, brace yourselves for the pronunciation on this one, uh, the Cryptomonas gyropyrino idosa. Hmm. Uh, it has nice. seven distinct genomes. What? Thank you. Seven distinct genomes all packed into its little unicellular body, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that is. So uh, they not only identified those seven, they were sort of able to trace back the biological evolution of how this spe- species came to be. So here's what they think happened. First up, you have the original DNA from a free-floating freshwater unicellular organism. Picture our old friend, we've talked about it, the amoeba. Mm-hmm. And it swallowed up a plant cell at some point. And instead of destroying it, it actually became part of the creature. Um, and so now this new creature could actually photosynthesize because it has plant cells inside of it. So that is pretty rad. Uh, it's awesome. also why the algae uh, um, is in lichens. So we see like the algae and lichens also giving that new creature the ability to photosynthesize. So mm-hmm. we've seen this in Chimera before, but pretty cool. Somehow the researchers were able to figure out that that plant cell that made the photosynthesis possible had fragments of different genomes inside of it. So actually this new Chimera actually ended up having like four different genomes in it just by merging two different uh, organisms. That's wild. Now later on the cell was infected with two different bacteria that persisted in the cell generation to generation. Uh, and became part of the organism, this this bacterial cell. So now we're up to six genomes that are present in this one cell. Hold on, though. What do we find out? (laughs) One of those two bacteria was actually infected with a virus, which I want to point out is something I didn't even know was possible. I didn't know that either. Did you guys know that a bacteria can be infected infected by by a virus? virus? This was... I may have heard that at one point, but that that fact had left my brain. (laughs) So I'm like, wow, that is very cool. So if you're playing along at home, you'll know that that brings us up to uh, seven uh, genomes that are found within this, which is a new record. The previous record had been six. Uh, I do want to point out that as I was reading, it sure did sound like there were parts of seven genomes instead of seven full genomes, which I think would be even more amazing uh, if they were not as fragmentary as they were. But yeah, like, where do you draw the line? Right. Is the DNA of our mitochondria just a fragment? I mean, mitochondria can't live on their own outside of our body. Mm-hmm. It isn't enough to create uh, like a fully autonomous species. So I, so I don't think that it really matters that what they found were just parts of genomes because that's, that's kind of how all chimera work. Think about the classic example. If you had completely separate genomes, you'd have a lion and a goat and a snake. <laughs> and that's right. not the point. You have parts of them together. So that's kind of really what a chimera is, is, is all these parts working together inside of an organism which is 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 very cool and making up a complete genome that functions on its own that is so i do love that the yeah the more we look at life and at genetics and even what it means to be a species the more complex it becomes and we've said it rachel on this time of the show time after time you mentioned it last week we should basically get t-shirts made at this point but (laughs) life laughs at our little boxes right it's nature laughs at our boxes well, nature and life. Yeah, it all la- laughs at our little boxes. This idea that we can <laughs> put categories? things into perfect little <laughs> categories. No. Nice try. When you really start to break it down, it doesn't work that way. And I think this is a super cool example of where the ideas, or chimeras in general, yeah. uh, in all their forms, are, are like a super cool example of where the ideas of maybe even what a species, that it's just this one simple thing, 
it all kind of starts to break down. Well, I mean, so I will say if you want to learn more about Cryptomonas, uh, you can check out an article <laughs> on fizz, fizz.org called Single-Celled Alga Found to Harbor 7 Genomes by Bob uh, Yurka. Or you can read the original paper that came out, which was in Current Biology. It was called A Single-Cell Cryptomonad Cell Harbors a Complex Community of Organelles, Bacteria, a Phage, and Selfish Elements. That was from the April Wild. 2023 issue of current biology. So I guess check that out. I'll try to put some links also in the show notes. Yeah. But that is what I have for y'all this week. Well, if this we are wild. chimera, what what I'm hearing is that I can truthfully tell people I'm a mythical creature from now on. So that is how I'll be introducing myself. But I also no, have another, we already knew this. Here's, here's the problem though. If you are a chimera, then chimera are no longer mythical. Mm. So therefore, you could not be a mythical creature, I'm afraid. I mean, chimera are me. technically not mythical <laughs> already. Right, they're not, right? That's what it comes down to. Now, Noah, if you want to tell people that you're a mythical creature, uh, well, I'm who still, am I to I'm still going to, yeah, yeah, for sure. But Excellent. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Excellent. What, so I, right. I have another question then. Like, what, what isn't a chimera? If, if like so many organisms on our planet have multiple or pieces of different genomes, like is there anything that's like definitely just it? Does it really have a meaningful, you know, is, is it meaningful at that point? If, if basically mm-hmm. all these creatures are at least a chimera or something, turns out that's kind of how species get formed. Mm. You know, it's yeah. not just the simple process of evolution, um, you know, selecting certain genes and being passed on. The, the reason that the bacteria were important in this is that bacteria have the ability to basically go into our genes and, and rewrite them, mm-hmm. maybe to create more bacteria or to you know, do things. And even looking at human, we start to look at human DNA, you will find some little things where you're like, well, this is an odd little section of our DNA. What's going on here? And it may mm-hmm. have been because a bacteria at some point was monkeying around inside our DNA. And so this is, you know, the more we study DNA, which is a kind of new thing to be able to really dive into the genome and study it. I think we're going to find this sort of thing is more and more common. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, at some point it's like, well, okay. I mean, yeah, everything's a chimera. What's your point? Mm-hmm. You know? Well, I mean, the whole thing so, too. Well, well spotted Noah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole thing too is when we get down to it, when it comes to like DNA and categorizing and everything, how many things have been reorganized since we discovered DNA, you know? When it, right. like, how many things we thought fungus were more fungi oh, were more you mean, like, related when you say to plants. Categorized, you mean like, like in taxonomy? Oh like yeah, absolutely. Tax- like it gets down to taxonomy. Groups, yeah. Like when it comes down to it, if everything has bits and pieces from all of these different uh, groups, it blows mm-hmm. up our how we do taxonomy in the first place. Or it can. Right. It does, but I, I do want to. I do want to give a shout out to you know those early scientists who were working on taxonomy because one of the things that I teach kids, you know, when we're looking at insects, is they mostly got it right. Right. You know, it's you, wild. You, you go. These are the, these are the dragonflies. These are the beetles. These are the grasshopper type creatures, and we kind of put them into categories based on what they looked like. And turns out, ninety nine point nine percent of the time, that's good enough. Mm-hmm. Like things that look alike, turns out, guess what? They're genetically related, wow. which shouldn't be too big of a shocker. What's fun is to find those fringe cases, though, where right. you find things that look alike and turns out, surprise, they're not related or things that don't look alike and are related. I think that's kind of where it gets really interesting. Oh, absolutely. Agreed. Oh, it's wild. Well, sweet. You have uh, you guys have spent, uh, you know, another chapter of your life 
enriching yourselves by listening to the show. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for being yeah, this here. This is super fun. Yeah, thanks for joining Excellent. us, yeah, Noah. Noah. Yeah, do you have anything you want to plug here on the show? Yeah, Before we thanks go? for the chance. My my plug is not related to squirrels or chaga, but when I'm not <laughs> investigating the world of mysterious, strange nature things, I like to write and record music. So if you like alternative Sweet. indie rock, jazzy type of music or singer-songwriter stuff, check me out on Spotify. It's Noah Shea, like Shea Butter. I've got a bunch of albums out, and I'll be working on a new acoustic album this summer. So, yeah. Woohoo! Awesome. Cool. We'll try to include a link in the show notes for people who are curious about Noah's other pastimes. So thanks yeah. for being on. Yeah. Thanks, Thank you very Noah. much. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Right, everyone. Have a great day. Yeah. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of The Strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace The Strange.